Today's guest is Grace Goober, the creator and host of the Family Meal Podcast. Born and raised in New Jersey, Grace joins the show to talk about her early start in the industry, the intricacies of being a timely and efficient restaurant host, and her decision to start her own podcast. Make sure you give Grace's podcast a listen, the Family Meal Podcast. Check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. With me, as always, is Dan. How's, how are things? Uh, things are going well. No complaints on my end. And what about yourself? <laughs> what a setup. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of complaints, to be honest with you. We're recording this on uh, November 15th. Found out tomorrow that our esteemed premier has now moved our hours back even a couple more hours. So now, uh, last call is at 9 p.m. here in Kitchener, Ontario. And... Everybody out the door at 10. Now, I know some people have got it worse than us, so yeah. uh, I noticed a lot of posts on Instagram lately from some of our friends who have been on the podcast, and they're going into a full shutdown again, so rough time for the service. Any thoughts with those people? Um, I know Oregon is going into a full shutdown, so that's going to affect our friends, uh, Leah. Leah and, and Yancey, yep. and then uh, Washington as well. It's going to affect our Ooh. friend Jonathan Stanyard. All people who've been on the podcast before, you can check out their episodes in the archives. Um, as for me, it just fucking sucks. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, uh, I don't know. It seems like the silver industry is just getting scapegoated for a lot of this and uh, seems uh, targeted towards bars, which is not really fair. I saw uh, somebody post something on Instagram the other day. I'm going to borrow a line from that. But it's, I'm just wondering if uh, maybe a bartender fucked Doug Ford's wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're getting the raw end of this thing. But uh, my business partner was in uh, at the bay the other day, and he was walking by um, the perfume counter. And he's got all these people out there. Their masks are off. They're spraying, smelling, <laughs> droplets everywhere. And, I, and he looks at me. He's like, yeah, and we're the problem. <laughs> but I digress. Anyway, let's move this along. There's nothing we can do about it. We may be headed for a full shutdown as well again, and that might have already happened by the time this podcast drops. If you like the podcast and you wish to support it, the best way, of course, is to subscribe, rate, and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to be on the industry podcast and you're a member, you're a, you have a career in the service industry, then you should just DM us at the industry podcast and we will uh, reach out as soon as we can. We have another great guest for you, as always, here on your favorite podcast, so we can just get right to that as soon as I give the requisite shout-out to at Zach Hanna Design for the artwork. Uh, correct. The Please. usual link to his profile, Instagram profile, at the end of the show notes. Okay, so tonight we have... Or tonight. I don't even know what fucking time it is uh, anymore. You know, that leads me to something. If, if this 9 o'clock shutdown had happened like a month ago, yeah. we would have been doing last call while it was bright out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, our great guest for you, as always. We have with us all the way from New Jersey, Grace Goober. How are you, Grace? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Well, you know, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> how, how is the uh, COVID situation in Jersey? Are you guys in a full shutdown or... So we're still not in a full shutdown, but our cases are as high as they were in April. We are right back to square one, mm -hmm. pretty much. So you fear a shutdown lurking? Uh, yeah, we do fear a shutdown looming. Um, we actually just, we didn't have the curfew that you guys have had put in, but we did just get it put in. We've been uh, in outdoor dining and then 25% capacity indoors for a while, and they just put in the curfew. I believe it's 10. Mm -hmm. I think it's 10 p.m. 
crazy. I, it, that part, part really, excuse me, that part really makes no sense to me because like, what is COVID more lethal between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. <laughs> and 11 p.m. and 2 a.m.? It makes no sense. It's literally exactly. just a curfew. Have you been working then or is, is the place where you were working shut down? So the place where I was working is now shut down, but I was working from May all the way through October. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's sad seeing more places go under. And when, uh, how long did, were you, was that restaurant able to last? Um, so we, so we're seasonal anyway, and we're usually not open in the summer at all. Um, so this was a weird new kind of seasonal thing we did just because of COVID. It was like, well, shoot, we have a ton of outdoor space. Let's just throw as many tables out there as we can, six feet apart. Let's get a stage up. Let's do entertainment. Let's do it big. Um, when it started to get cold, we threw patio heaters out there, but it ended up just coming to our owners were like, this is not going to be profitable in the winter because you can't do it outside, even with all the patio heaters in the world. And we couldn't afford to do it inside because at 25% capacity, we couldn't afford to just employ an executive chef, let alone right. servers or a bartender or anyone else. Right. Yeah, it's frustrating. And it's the same in our situation here. Everyone's getting laid off and places are shutting down all around us. Yeah, we got quite a few in town already. Yeah, it's that scenario. So hopefully, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the potential service industry comeback from this? Well... I think a lot of the fast casual takeout places, they're going to be okay because mm -hmm. they'll switch to predominantly takeout. They were already kind of set up for that. They'll be all right. But as far as like I work in kind of a, a fine dining restaurant, you know, we were doing takeout. Nobody wanted it. You know, right. some people did. And some people were like, wow, this is amazing because I'm used to eating out. and I don't feel good about eating out right now. But most people, by and large, they kind of like shrunk away from the price i think it was but meanwhile it's the same price you would have paid if you were like eating out at a nice restaurant so i don't know if it's just people get this weird thing about like well i don't want to spend 45 dollars on takeout i think that is it like it's there's a different mentality with takeout right you're used to getting cheaper food but yeah so i know we were in the same boat trying to figure out how to get when you're when you're not predominantly known for cheap food fast food or in my case, food at all, then you can't just all of a sudden spring takeout on them, right? <laughs> right. I mean, we were even doing, we were doing like bundles. It was like dinner for two and cocktails, every starters, main dessert, everything you needed. And it was like a hundred bucks. And people were like, mm, nope. And I was like, seriously? Right. <laughs> you can't, yeah. You're never going to get this deal again. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So obviously those places are going to be okay. What about like a uh, fine dining type restaurant? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think and this is me, right? I know what my restaurant was doing to keep me safe. And I might have felt like, you know, I would eat indoors here, maybe, but not knowing because, you know, here we have regulations, but they're not really well enforced, mm -hmm. you know, so you could be getting away with a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And you just can't know that as a consumer. So I feel weird about going to other restaurants. And I'm in the industry, you'd think I'd feel okay about it. I'd be like, mm -hmm. Oh, I know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. I went to a restaurant, you know, not an exactly higher end restaurant. But you know, they had paper menus, which we're supposed to have. They're supposed to be disposed after each person. And I watched them take them off of my table and hand them to other people. And I was <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think the, like, the solution that I recommended uh, to our premier in, in the province here, I sent a strongly worded letter, is that like instead of taking it out on the service industry, we all want to follow the rules, or for the most part, we do, right? So, and then keep people safe. Nobody wants, everybody knows the longer this um, virus 
situation goes on, the pandemic goes on and the virus keeps spreading, the less chance we have of returning to any normalcy in the service industry. So we want it to go away. So we want, we wish to follow the regulations and the rules. Here's the solution. There's all these people that are work now, especially people in the service industry. Why don't you hire more inspectors and just have nightly inspections of each restaurant? I, I mean, personally, I'd welcome it. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Again, you know, we felt like I'm very lucky at the place that I work at because there was a big emphasis towards if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. We are going to be the safest place out there. Like that's our marketing. We are the safest place you could go to. And I think we were that for a ton of people, but it it creates this problem. It's expensive to be the the safest place out there. You need more gloves. We had to hire. We created all these new jobs in our restaurant that didn't exist. We had bathroom attendants. We had new hostesses that had completely different jobs. Like everything was different suddenly because we were trying to be safer, but that's expensive. We were completely price gouged out of getting patio heaters. It was like normally they're 250 bucks. We were paying like 400 bucks a pop and we were willing to do it. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. And you're right about that. You do have to spend was we, there were a couple programs here in Ontario where if you had to, lay out a bunch of extra uh, money for like you say extra employees or in our case a lot of plexiglass people were um, installing etc that you could get some sort of a grant towards that did you have anything in place like that in new jersey there were some small business grants but they weren't we didn't apply for one and as far as i know from the places that did it was kind of like yeah that was like a week's worth of gloves that I used that grant for and (laughs) like I'm out of money. So, and I still got to operate. Yeah. Oh, it's a crazy situation. All right. Well, let's talk about something more, more uplifting, like uh, your career. Uh, (laughs) You um, started, well, I mean, I was reading through your bio. You've obviously done all the jobs. Uh, One that I thought was interesting that we haven't really talked about on this show before and that you just brought up was you were a bathroom attendant. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Talk about that. There's got to be some good stories there. (laughs) So, so as I said, when we started opening for COVID, we decided this was not a state regulation. This is not a New Jersey or U.S. thing. We just decided we have a single person bathroom because we're pretty small. So we were like, we should clean it and like just sanitize the handles and stuff in between each person. But that meant you needed someone to man the bathroom. And right. like, and and also we weren't having people come into the building just on their own because we couldn't have a line forming in the building of people waiting to use the restroom. So we had this whole convoluted system, right? We would tell you, okay, when you have to use the restroom, ask your server, they'll get the attendant. The attendant walks you into the bathroom, they clean it, and then they go get the next person. Right. So, you know, sometimes when we were dead, it, you know, as I said, I'm the executive chef's daughter. So like I would be the only one working and I had to do everything. And so, yeah, sometimes you just had to man the bathroom and you sanitized everything. You know, you could put on gloves and you like get the spray nine out and you spray everything down. And we had um, quite a few people that, you know, I feel bad because a lot of people wanted to follow the rules. Like they wanted to do this whole bathroom thing, right? Like they were committed. They were like, okay, I'm going to ask. And they'd ask and we'd be like, okay, we get them. But it's always the second person at the table that has to use the restroom that ruins it. Because they're they're like, so where's the bathroom? And they go, oh, it's right in there. And then they just go in. And I'm like, that's not the point. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, so, okay, so you weren't like a bathroom attendant before COVID where you were like... No, thankfully. Spritzing, spritzing people for yeah. change. No, thank God. Okay. <laughs> we did we did think about putting a tip jar, but it's like, well, people aren't carrying cash because right. COVID. Oh, yeah. 
And we weren't accepting cash because of COVID. So how can we put out a tip jar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay, so how did you get started in the industry? What was your first job? So, well, I started at a age that's not technically allowed to work um, because my mother owned a catering business and now she's an executive chef. She was an executive chef, then had a catering business, then was a chef again. Um, so I, at a young age, she would be catering pretty much out of our house. And so I was just around and it was like, you know, you're an extra pair of hands. Can you help? Can you do this? Can you make this? And okay. And so then I started cater waitering and I would do that. I did a lot of prep stuff with her mostly, but I would obviously pass hors d'oeuvres and things like that. And man very minimal bars because I couldn't legally tend alcohol. So right. just pour water for people and fill ice. Um, and that was pretty much my start in it. It was kind of always, there was never like this thought of I was always going to be in the industry, but then I turned 16 and my mom said, you need a job and I need a food runner. So you're coming in on the weekends. And that oh, was just yeah. the beginning of the end. Right. Uh, and uh, was there a point, along, like, I don't know how you're feeling now post COVID, but was there a point along the um, line where you're doing all these new jobs I'm assuming you just take the natural progression of food running to serving, et cetera, um, where you're like, oh, this might be something I want to do with my life. Or has this always been sort of just a job you're doing while you're figuring things out? I think there was always a feeling of when I after I stopped food running and I started serving, I learned that I was pretty good at this job. Like, mm. I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty efficient. I'm pretty fast. I can keep a running list in my head of all the things I have to do. And I make pretty good money right. in a summer when I'm looking for some cash. So I don't know if it was ever like, oh, this is where I want to go with my career. But it's it's always been the thing that's felt the most natural to me. Mm -hmm. And I do very much lean into that. And so that's kind of why I started my own podcast about it, because I was like, I have a certain amount of experience just from having done it and being right. on the ground and being there and being among people who do it that I can speak to that not a normal news anchor could. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, and we wanted to get to talking about the podcast as well, but we'll stay on you for a little bit. Um, so you mentioned that your your mother's an executive chef. Uh, what kind of advantage do you think that that gave you going into the job? I think it. I think about back of house and front of house always at the same time because if something goes wrong in the back of the house, I'm gonna hear, have to hear about it later in the day. Um, I, right. I don't just go home and leave my job at the workplace. I have to hear about like I can't believe you triple sat like that and all the orders came yeah. in at five <laughs> and you and <laughs> I'm gonna have to hear about it. So I do think about the back of the house dynamics as well as the front of the house dynamic dynamics. So when I was hostessing at other places, you know, a lot of hostesses didn't understand. You know, yes, you get crushed and you're thinking I sat all the servers nicely and evenly but you ruined the back of the house because right. now the back of the house is like you just sat 27 people in 20 minutes what do you mean what was i supposed to do like okay let's talk about that a little bit was that something we haven't really talked about on the show before is like what how how do you like how do you suss that out how like i think people just assume hostessing is kind of an easy job and you know people show up at the door and you put them put their asses in a seat right but it's there's it's more it's much more complex than that and honestly i've never even done that job so i'm not entirely sure how it works either how do you how do you make sure that uh like you said everyone's getting fair amount of customers in their sections but also you're not fucking the kitchen over so i so first of all well like one of the restaurants i worked at they had this problem where 
the kitchen was getting crushed every Friday and Saturday night. And I was, we could see through open table. Like, I was like, yeah, because 50 people came in at 630. What did you think was going to happen? Right. Of course, all their dinners got delayed. So I was telling them, you know, your reservation system and how you have it set up to the maximum number that you can have at each like half hour time slot is messed up. Because mm-hmm. you can get this huge crush at 6.30 because you think, well, that's the most popular time. But you crush your kitchen and then their 7 o'clock reservations and 7.30s, they're all delayed too. Right. So there was very much this effort. A lot of hostesses think about, I'm trying not to screw over the servers because servers will get in your face and be yeah. like, hello, <laughs> yeah. you just triple sat me. What are you doing? And they're Yeah, very, I understand how that side works. <laughs> they're very happy to tell you that. Yeah. But not a lot of people think of the back of the house, right? So we have this problem at the restaurant I work. I worked at predominantly, which is that we have everybody come in at the same time. We're associated with a the theater. So everybody comes in before the show and leaves at 8 p.m. Like mm-hmm. everybody. So even though people would, we could make it. So like, okay, some people have to come at 5.30. Some people have to come at 6. Some people have to come at 6.30. The 5.30 people don't necessarily want to order right away. Right. And the six o'clock people want to order immediately. And the 6.30 people want to order immediately, right? Mm-hmm. So you get, you still get this like crush towards the center. So I, then I knew as a server, okay, I have to try and get my 5.30s to get their orders in right away so that we space it all out. But it's much harder when you're doing that on the fly. So it's a, you know, it's a mind game, that job, yeah. being a hostess. I, there's a lot at play. And that's why I used to get, I used to get really mad at some servers I worked with because they would be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you making them wait? Like, what they used to get so mad at me. I'm like, you don't know what I'm doing. You don't know. Right. I got a lot going on. <laughs> well, it's good. I think that's, this is good to get out there because I know, like, I've certainly been on the side of the bartender or server who is... Like, why the fuck am I not getting seated? They just got seated twice in a row and whatever. And, you know, everyone's taken to bribing the hostess before. So <laughs> that's good to, it's good to get that out there for any service people or who are listening who haven't done the host or hostess. It's also hard. The hardest part about being a hostess is you are, like, customers, not that they're not mean to servers, but they are so mean to hostesses because they right. think the seating is completely arbitrary. Right. Like customers think like, why does it matter where you sat me? Well, it matters. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I had a, well, you're right. The like, expectations of the guests are just like, they're just messed up, right? I remember um, a girl I was dating, she worked at a restaurant and they were booked solid for New Year's Eve. And or no, it was Valentine's Day. And the guy called called up on like February 13th and was like, oh, yeah, I just want to get a table for two for tomorrow night at seven. And so, yeah, yeah. At that point, if you're on the line, it's really hard not to laugh. Right. Like, first of all, good job. The plan of the night. You get ahead. Yeah. Secondly, like, are you fucking kidding me? You're not getting a table now. And so she politely told him, oh, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. And he's like, well, so what you're saying is you don't want my business? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's like, what part of all booked up don't you understand? They can't magically create a new table for you, like, just because you want it. <laughs> My favorite is the people who would walk in at 628 when I have on my reservation sheet, like, 20 people coming in at 6.30 with tables reserved. They have called me. They have very politely asked for a table. I said, sure, I reserved a table. And someone walks in at 6.28 and they go, can I have a table? I'm like, oh, sorry, it's going to be like a 15 minute wait. And they go, but there's a table right there that's empty. Right. And look at me with these <laughs> yeah. dead eyes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, it's reserved. And they're like, well, they're not here. I got here first. I'm like, but they reserved it. <laughs> See, like they the, called. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Seinfeld um, rent-a-car thing where he's like, well, you know how to take the reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's reserved. Just because you got here before them. And <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, 
yeah, I guess that I can have some seriously unrealistic expectations. But how do you feel like once you trans, um, once you moved along into serving, how do you feel that your uh, experience hostessing helped out in that situation? Probably you were nicer to the hostess. Well, I actually went backwards. Like oh. I did serving and then I did hostessing. I got a downgrade. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got a downgrade at a different restaurant, which I'm was sure, very funny. I'm sure it's not because you were shitty at your job, Grace. No, it, I was at a I was at a different restaurant and I was 19 mm-hmm. and they were looking for a hostess. I said, oh, yeah, sure. I have, you know, I've been working in the restaurant industry since I was 16. And they were like, oh, OK, and didn't care. And <laughs> so, so they just put me on as a hostess, which I didn't care. I was right. making minimum wage, whatever. And I thought, oh, it'll be a much less stressful job. Incorrect. It was yeah. much more stressful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I remember at one point, one of my managers was like doing something on the floor and he was, um, there was a table and there was a couple dirty plates. There was like three plates on the table. And he goes, hey, Grace, can you just help me clear those? And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And he's like, just get the one. I'll come back for the other two. And I'm like, looking at him like, why would you and like okay i'm small all right i'm like five foot two and i get that i look like i'm 12 so like i understand but i so i put all i carried all three plates back to dish and he sees me and he goes oh look at grace i didn't know you could carry three dishes and i'm oh like he's <laughs> just like um you know i'm a server right and he's like what uh, so it was yeah. like, okay, that's fine. Um, so everybody was very confused by that. But actually at that job, like the servers appreciated me a little bit more because they were yeah. like, you know what you're doing? I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I always find like the um, the hostesses that really get a, get over with the uh, front of house staff are the ones who you don't have to ask to do shit, right? Like it's just kind of like if they see something that needs to be done and they have time to do it, they just start doing it. Like that's how you really earn the respect of the front of the house. I always think there's like two kinds of hostesses. There's hostesses that have worked in a restaurant in other positions. And then there's hostesses who have only ever been hostesses. Right. And those ones like don't leave the stand. They don't do anything. They just stand there and hand out menus and bring people to tables. And that's it. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. But I'm sitting there like jumping in and helping back waiters because I'm like, y'all are scrambling. I can wash a table down. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, it sounds like you've worked in a whole bunch of different types of places. Can you run through sort of the different sort of bars and restaurants that you've worked in? So I've worked, obviously, at um, kind of what I said, the upper end, kind of fine dining, kind of a place that I was a food runner. I was the bathroom attendant. I was a server. Um, I've obviously done cater waitering kind of gigs. I also worked at a couple other restaurants. One is a server. I worked on another one predominantly as a hostess. Um, and then I also worked when I was in Washington, D.C., where I'm normally a student, um, I was the social media content creator for a fast, casual Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, wow. Talk, okay, talk to me about that, because I think a lot of, and honestly, probably myself included, people think that, oh, social media, it's not that difficult. Like, oh, I don't need to hire a social media director or content creator. I can just handle this myself. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit about why that's false. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I think if you want a really good social media presence, it requires just being on social media all the time and always posting stuff and always promoting different stuff. And if you're running a restaurant, you just don't have that kind of spare time lying on your hands. And that was this particular restaurant's problem. They had an owner who really wanted to be on social media and have their platform out there, but she just didn't have that kind of time to shoot all the pictures and then to create captions and to upload them on a schedule. She didn't have that kind of time. So she was looking for a 20 something year old to do it for like a hundred bucks a week. And I said, bet I'll do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that's great. And like, okay, so what's the key to pulling it off? Like what, uh, I know obviously being on it all the time matters, but, uh, what are some of the tips? 
Um, I think, I mean, I think the pictures matter, right? Mm -hmm. I think everybody loves a food picture. Everybody loves a nice cropped, slightly oversaturated food picture. That's what gets people in, right? So in COVID, I was doing the same kind of thing for the restaurant I normally work at, but I was doing emails. So I was sending people constantly emails of the changing menu and pictures of the new menu. And that was what got people in. They were like, oh man, I have been eating my own cooking for like two months and that looks so much better. You know, that was what kind of drew people in. And also for the Vietnamese restaurant, it was a little bit of an education about the food. She wanted it to be a little bit like breaking down a barrier of like, you may not know what a banh mi is, but like, if I show you a picture of a really delicious looking sandwich, you might be like, I don't care what it is. I just want that. I'm going to eat it. It just looks good. Yeah. It just looks good. That's really, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a restaurant because I saw their Instagram and it just looked good. And that was enough. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the quality of the photo obviously matters. And uh, like, what about things like captioning and stuff? Is that a big deal? You know, I know a lot of people say that like, uh, the hashtags and stuff matter. I'm sure to an extent that works. I've never proven it to myself that like, oh, that really got my post engagement up, but it could probably work. I think time of day matters the most. You're posting it at 8pm. What that's not doing you any good. Nobody's gonna see that and be like, oh, tomorrow. So what are the best times to be posting? I always say high noon. Best time to post it. Because you know what? The good thing is about high noon is that either you get somebody on their lunch break or who's like about to go on their lunch break to go, ooh, that looks really good right now. Or you get someone who's like, as soon as I leave work, I'm going there. I have to get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So you worked in uh, in all these different jobs. What what would you say your favorite favorite job in the service industry and your, your favorite place that you've worked? Uh, my favorite place that I worked is the high dining place I work at. And I, it's definitely being a server is my favorite mm. position. It's just what suits me the best. I love talking to people. I yeah. love getting to know people. I love talking to people about food, you know, especially because there it was a great menu and I stood behind it and I felt confident in it and I knew everything. So I could really tell them a lot about preparation and about taste and about flavor and where the inspiration came from. I could really talk to them about it for a while. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but especially once COVID hit, you know, it it was just such a safe place to be working at. And I felt confident in what we were doing to keep our patrons safe. Mm -hmm. So I felt good about working there because people would be nervous. You had plenty of people who came in like, I haven't left the house since March. And like, it's, you know, July. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Welcome to the brave new world. It's good to have you. Um, But it was good because you saw them throughout the night, like ease up and feel like, no, this is safe. I am safe right now. I'm outside. People are wearing their masks. The servers all have gloves. And so that was like, really reaffirming about humanity for a second (laughs) right yeah yeah that's um uh, it's interesting i don't know if we had the same level of maybe because the city we live in we didn't have a whole lot of cases for a really long time i didn't really feel like there was the same panic here would you agree yeah that's correct actually even our hospitalizations are pretty low compared to every other region yeah cases are kind of up uh the severity of the cases here is We've been pretty lucky, actually. Yeah, like business is obviously down, but um, and obviously the hours restrictions aren't helping anybody. But the, but um, yeah, I, I, as far as our guests coming in, like I haven't noticed any of that sort of, or or that much for the from employees either. I, there's always some people who just like I'm I'm gonna sit this out. Like there's gonna be people concerned, but we we haven't had as much of that panic here. No, not at all. So. I literally had a woman who came in. And I said, hey, how you doing? You know, my name is Grace. I'm filling her water pitchers. And she's waiting on two more people. But she says to me, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And she looks at me and she goes, I'm going to cry. Yeah. I'm like, well, don't do that. <laughs> okay. What, what you, what's wrong? And she's like, I just, 
I, this, I just haven't left my house and I'm just so excited to be here. And I was like, oh, well, okay, we're going to have a good time. Do you want some wine? Like, you need uh, something. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah, yeah, we did get a lot of that, I guess, when, after the shutdown when we reopened. Although patios opened pretty quickly. It was like a couple months before that. And then it was like four months for places for indoor dining. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there, I, I remember the first time I was allowed to go back and sit on a patio again. It was pretty exciting. This last place you worked at sounds like was like uh, sort of like a family atmosphere for you guys. And uh, I know I listened to one of your podcasts where you had your sort of ex-staff on there. And so it sounded pretty like a... Must have been pretty emotional when this place shut down. We were all crying. Yeah. (laughs) We all cried because for us, like I said, we're usually seasonal. So it's kind of like we're five weeks, we're open, five weeks, we're shut. Five weeks, we're open, five weeks, we're shut. And so we're used to, you know, yeah, we close, but we tell each other like, oh, I'll see you in five weeks. Enjoy your time off. Like we hug. And, you know, a lot of us have worked together for four or five years, you know, and to close and know. I don't know when I'll see you again. I don't know if it'll be in three months. I don't know if it'll be in a year. I don't know if it'll be when, never. I have no idea, you know? So I I know that for me, that was very emotional. And I know for a lot of the young staff who I had on, you know, it was really emotional for them because we also like working with a staff in COVID is like a very like trauma bonding experience. You know, we had gone through like hell and back. (laughs) Yeah. together and so it was particularly hard for all of us to let go because we're like no we we've done so much together we're all so close now you know we had to deal with it was us versus the world way more than ever right um yeah i can imagine and like i i mean i i have uh, like we're hanging on by a thread here but i haven't had to close my place down yet i did have to lay off all my staff pretty much but um i can only imagine like if a place that's had like a pretty steady group of people working there a set of employees that feel like a family like when a place like that shuts down like it must be kind of soul crushing yeah it was really hard and it it was so as a staff like we would have all kept working that was the worst part Mm -hmm. is that we were so ready to keep working and it was really the powers that be that said no this has to close and so that was harder it's one thing if we all felt like this had to end but we were all like we can do it you know we'll do it in the snow or we'll do it inside at nothing if we could just stay employed if we could just stay on and it just wasn't worth doing um, right. so your, your mother was the chef there yes yeah she was the yeah. chef not the owner just right. the chef. okay so just so yeah. she didn't have any say in the matter either. no she was <laughs> pushing for let's keep them employed let's do it inside you know we had another alternative space we were thinking about using but it just didn't work out yeah, that's sad. That's sad shit. Um, yeah. So at that point, you decide, well, you got some time on your hands, so maybe the same sort of the same thing we did, I think. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's start a podcast. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. It's called The Family Meal? Yes. Okay, tell us about uh, what you do on the podcast, what you talk about, what your, what your hopes are for it. So it really started as this idea for a kind of a PSA for consumers about the restaurant industry as it relates to COVID. Because I realized as we're developing all these new kind of social contracts around COVID, you know, asking people, can you quarantine before we hang out, doing all these things, it was going to change the way we looked at the restaurant industry and the way it operated, right? right? So I wanted people to be informed. A, this is what restaurants are trying to doing to keep you safe. But B, this is what we need from you. And we need you to cooperate because otherwise this whole thing falls apart. So that was really the start of it. And then it kind of evolved into, well, I should have people on and I should have, you know, people talking about it who have been doing it. And I should have my mother on and I should have my friends on. And it kind of just evolved into this uh, cute little project that I sustains my time and (laughs) keeps me from being bored. 
So I've listened, yeah, I've listened to a couple, and some it's just you on, and then, most it's just me. Yeah, and then other times you have guests as well. So, and is that that's something you're looking to expand to have more guests? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But the format has generally been you just sort of talking about the effect of COVID on the industry. Pretty much. I mean, I pick different topics, you know. So, like one of my favorite episodes um, was a tipping episode, which is a very controversial topic. Yeah, we um, just did one of those ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know it's. It's important for people to know because I had friends who aren't in the industry who, when I told them, like, you know, I make $2 an hour and it comes up to minimum wage when you tip me. They were like, what do you mean? I thought, like, tips were this nice little present that I gave you, like, on top of your wages. I'm like, no, 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 no. You accommodate my living wage. And they were like, oh. But that's especially important in COVID, right? Because I had people who were going to tip me in cash and I was like, no, I can't accept cash. And then they're like, oh. Well, then how do I, they were, you know, there's a whole lot of confusion around that. So, but it was important for people to know, like, hey, you're going to have to tip on the credit card, which also I'm going to lose a little bit of that money when you tip on the credit card. So, you know, tip me maybe a little bit more on the credit card. Yeah, or just more in general. (laughs) Just more in general. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what is, uh, well, just as we just had this, an, an episode about this, I'm interested in your opinion as well. What is your opinion on moving to like a no tip culture? Oh, I would, I'm, I'm really thinking Like, we need to turn into, like, restaurants are union workers, like, no tips, not not a gig economy where it's, like, restaurant workers are disposable from one job to the next. Like, really, you cultivate workers in your restaurants to do a myriad of jobs and are kind of indispensable to the way that that particular restaurant runs. That's my, like, pie-in-the-sky dream that I think COVID could end up leading us to, but Mm -hmm. unions aren't very popular here, so... No, they're not very... Well, I mean... (laughs) I think we pretend that they're popular in Ontario. They certainly are for certain industries, but it's been there's been any time anyone's tried to even breathe the notion of a of a service industry union, it gets shut down pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah. So, yeah. Which I mean, I, even as an owner, I understand it a little bit, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, my opinion might be changing a little bit based on the conversation we had on the last podcast because it just it doesn't seem like this tipping structure is sustainable in the long term anymore. Yeah, it's really not. And, and, you know, I think what we learned during COVID, right, was that there was a value in having an employee that could do a lot of different things, you know, that on Tuesday could be a server, on Wednesday could be a bathroom attendant, Lord knows we did that, and, you know, could switch around in these positions. That was inherently valuable. And when you lose that, like, that was what we were afraid of in our restaurant. If we lose these people, we will never get people that can work like this again and do all these different things for us. But we had no way of offering them security. And also, we realized that all these restaurant workers have absolutely no insurance or benefits, which was very traumatic during a pandemic to be going through. So how was that working when you guys were doing it that way? Because obviously you were still, that was still a place where tips were accepted. Um, how how was it working? Like if one day you're a server and the next day you're a bathroom attendant, were you guys just pooling everything? We, we were always a pool house. Okay. So it was always that, you know, attendants, we just made attendants get like the same portion of the pool that like our food runners would. So that that right. was a pretty easily interchangeable job. If you like, you know, we didn't really need you as a runner, but you could tend to the bathrooms that night that was fine you were going to make the same anyway right um for me i you know i just i don't know how they figure out my payroll i'm just floating around and doing all different things but yeah our hostesses our bathroom attendants our food runners they all made the same portion of the tip pool mm-hmm. um and then the rest was just split and i think they made like 10 percent or something right. and then it was the rest was split among the servers but we always did that so we always had a good kind of teamwork mentality around that it was always like those aren't your tables they're all our tables and we're all going to do it together yeah 
but we were used to that. Well, yeah, I've always been a proponent of tip pooling. Um, well, I mean, not always. When I was a younger server, I was like, <laughs> fuck that. These are my exactly. tables. Yeah, but, like, but then as I moved into more of the ownership side, I just, I am firmly, I firmly believe that if you're going to have tips, that it should be a pooled atmosphere. Otherwise, that, I mean, then you get into this situation where, oh, no, that's my table. Why would I pay attention to his or her table over there, right? And that's just right. bad. That's just bad for the guests, bad for the uh, business. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm slowly maybe changing my mind around about tipping at all. Uh, anyway, back to your podcast. Let's. Uh, I got a little bit of pod, uh, microphone envy from Grace here. Do you see yeah. that? What it's are you just, using for a mic out of curiosity there? Literally using a blue snowball. Like it's not an expensive <laughs> oh, okay. mic. Yeah, well, it's as big as your head. So I thought I maybe it was. <laughs> our, our listeners can't see that, but yeah. uh, we can barely see Grace over her microphone. <laughs> but the quality is terrific, actually. Well, yeah. thank you. I did just get a $5 pop filter for it. I'm very Ooh. excited about what that's done yeah. for it. <laughs> So one of the things that Dan and I both noticed about your podcast um, in listening to it is we were really impressed because, I mean, I mean, I'm the host of this podcast and I'm stuttering and stammering all the time yeah. here about how well you speak and to Thank do you. a whole show on your own, on your own, just by yourself some, with something like many shows with no guests and just you talking and it's just seamless. Thank you. I'm usually very highly caffeinated. Yeah. If I had tried to do that, that would be, it would be putting people to sleep in 10 seconds. Yeah, I don't know if it'd be that long. <laughs> uh, <I definitely>, <laughs> this is the kind of support i get on yes. my own show grace <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah like did you how did you get so good at this did you take public speaking at some point or no <laughs> no no, honestly, I get all of my speaking ability. You know, what's hilarious is that, like I said, the restaurant I normally work at is associated with a theater. And what makes me laugh is that sometimes I would be serving tables and I'd be talking about, oh, you know, and I'd be saying something about the theater. And they're like, oh, are, are you a performer at the theater? And I'm like, yeah. no. No, but you're a performer every day in your fucking job. That's Pretty for much. Sure. That yeah. was what I always said. Yeah. That's what I always said. I'm like, no, they wouldn't have me, I asked. Um, <laughs> but it just comes... Uh, well, I like to run my mouth, but it mm -hmm. does come a little bit from the server persona and sure. kind of putting it on for people and making it an experience, right? And and that sort of comes from being associated with the theater, but also it's just my natural inclination and personality. Mm -hmm. um, so no, no public speaking, um, nothing like that. No speech and debate team, nothing. Yeah. So you drive up an outline for these one when you do the one person shows, or are you just kind of riffing on what you feel like talking? You know, about? there's there's an outline. There's an outline that's like yeah, a that rough schematic, because okay. <laughs> otherwise. Otherwise, I I lose my train of thoughts. So sure. Fast. Yeah. I'm and like, that, what was that, I talking about? That 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 happens here too. Like, I'll start talking and I'll be like, what was I? Where were we? <laughs> like, because we go off on tangents on our podcast. Right. We, we just use like people's bios as a guideline, and then I'll get on this tangent. Tangent. I'm like, where was I going with this? How do I get back from where I went? Um, but yeah. At the but when you're at the table with a guest these are short spurt conversations right so it's not the same as you speaking uninterrupted for an hour so I'll, although i can see how it would help it's definitely not the same thing right i mean i like to have an outline i usually i'm the kind of person that you get me started it could be three hours we're here <laughs> yeah. like i could just run with it and Sometimes I'm like, okay, nobody wants to listen to me ramble about that for three hours. Some things maybe, but probably not everything. So I outline a couple things. It's like, these are the points I want to hit. This is the driving point I'm trying to get home to. And if I land there, awesome. Just cut the audio. It's done. <laughs> right. So, okay. Talk to us about uh, where you got the name from. We Believe it or not, we have the odd 
listener who's not in the service industry. So just, <laughs> <laughs> those in the service industry, I think, will understand what the family meal is, but maybe you could explain it to the one or one or three guests or listeners who are not familiar. Yeah, I love I love the reason why I picked the name. I loved the family meal as a name because the family meal is pre-shift or post-shift. It's a meal that the restaurant puts together, usually the back of the house staff puts together for the whole staff and they all sit down and they all eat together. And for me, the family meal was always a moment like we always had it post shift because like I said everybody would leave at eight so we'd be closed at 8 30 mm. um but it was always a moment to kind of like be a team and kind of talk and talk shit and be like I can't believe fucking table two like they were so rude or whatever and it was and to be very candid about our jobs and about right. our experiences and that was what I wanted to bring to the general population this is the candidness at which people in the industry talk about it this is mm-hmm. how we feel you know and this is what we say to each other but you never get to hear for yourself so it was supposed to be kind of this welcoming imagery of like come on pull up a seat at the family meal and join us and talk about it with us and get to hear about our side of it. Right. Yeah, I, th- I wonder if the family meal is sort of going to the wayside. Like, I know I tried to institute it at one of my bars and it just never really flew. People just wanted to eat at different times and nobody, like for us, we were open till 2 a.m. So no one's going to eat at that time. So right. nobody really wanted to come in early. Like it just, we couldn't make it work. And I, I do think it's maybe more of an American thing than a Canadian thing too, though. Um but yeah, well, how do you feel about that? Is the, are the family meals still happening? I so I, we always had one. I worked at a different restaurant. Well, I'll tell you a counter story. So I had worked at a restaurant where they had just opened. They were brand new. I was literally like the first staff they hired. And a couple weeks into operation, obviously, they weren't quite making a ton of money. As you know, any restaurant in the first year to be making a ton of money is like a miracle. But this was in the first month. Right. So, yep. so they're suffering. <laughs> And they weren't, the owners had no experience in the industry. So it's a great start. And they were shocked that they were not making money yet. (laughs) That's so funny. I'm just going to interject for one second here because that is like one of, I think the worst things that when I see it all the time, I'm sure you do as well. People would like, for instance, I have zero experience being a, well, not zero experience, but very little experience being a complete dick to people because I have power for no reason. So I don't decide to go be a police officer. Right. But, <laughs> but, but, but or, or nor do I, like I haven't gone to dental school, so I don't decide to just one day be like, you know what, I've hung out in dentist office. I feel like I could do that. Right. But, that, but for some reason in people our- People think in, they can always just buy a restaurant and it'll be great. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and then, yeah, so, and, and, and they inevitably fail because they don't understand. And they also, their expectations are way out of whack. So anyways, I was just interjecting to continue. So they had invested like $2 million in this building Ooh. in just like, they had a shit ton of money. They just invested and they had this idea. They never said this, but I, concurred that this was their idea. The owners thought if we just hired an experienced back of the house staff, experienced front of the house staff, we don't have to do any managing. It'll operate. And I was right. like, you're <laughs> stupid. Like, yeah. it's not important. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, needless to say, it's like two months into being open and they're not making money and they're shocked and they're trying to cut corners, which is always a bad sign. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was like an Italian restaurant. So they were making fresh pasta. Now they were not making fresh pasta. Oh, yeah. You can see when those little those little things, <laughs> little changes are happening, right? And you're like, I should be taking my paycheck out of the till soon. Exactly. <laughs> so they had, so they stopped serving family meal. They were like, we can't afford to serve you family meal, which I felt 
was a little bit BS. I was like, you could literally bring in hot dogs and all of these 20 year olds would be like stoked that they were having hot dogs. Like that's all it takes, quite honestly. So hot dogs, salad, we'd be thrilled. Like they were, they were a little bit, they were doing these expensive family meals for a while that I was like, you know, this is nice, but not necessary. Totally fine. Like generally, I think the family meal idea came as well for a way like, to get rid of some of the stock that was gonna, you were gonna have to throw out anyway. Right. You may as well feed your staff with it. Right. right, and that's all. It, that's all I think anybody expects. Like yeah. I, I've told my mom, like literally, you could get chicken nuggets, and like we'd mm. be over the moon. So anyway, they just cut the whole family meal. And I remember I was talking to one of the bartenders. He was a very experienced bartender, and he was talking to me, and he's like something's not right here, Grace. I'm like, tell me what's not right. And he's like, there's just, they're, they're making changes that I don't think are good. He was kind of seeing the writing on the wall. And I was like, well, I don't think it's that bad. You know, I think they're just struggling. They don't want what they're doing. He's like, Grace, have you ever been in a restaurant that didn't even offer a family meal? And I was like, oof. Yeah. Say it like that. It does yeah. sound a little bit like they didn't care. And there was a couple other things that happened that you felt like, ooh, these people just think we are all disposable, man. They do not right. care. Yeah, and and also you could the writing on the wall with like making little cuts with money and right. everything. And again, like family meal isn't as uh, prevalent here in Canada, I don't believe. But uh, yeah, I could see like that being one of the cuts. But there are little, there are also little. There's many little things that you can tell where, especially people who own businesses who have never worked in the service industry, where they don't get it and they don't give a shit. Can you think of a couple other ones? Oh, okay. I loved this one. This is a great one. So we had. So my boyfriend also worked at that restaurant um, at a different time than me. He worked after I left. Okay. So he was working there as, um, he was like a back waiter. And he was hired as a back waiter. And he said, you know, I would like to move up to server at some point. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, we'll we'll train you and then we'll move you up. Not that they knew how to train anybody. But <laughs> so, so the back waiters had to polish all the silverware, right? And we had these special rags that were like microfiber rags for polishing that didn't leave like fuzzies and stuff on them. <sighs> The owner thought that the back waiters were stealing the rags. So he he locked them up and wouldn't let them have them. And so then they were like, well, we need to polish the silverware. And they're like, he was like, just use napkins. But the napkins left fuzzies on them. So they had to like, and then he got mad at them. And then and then he ended up just throwing out the rags. He was like, no. <laughs> Oh, that's all it. Threw them out. And then uh, the servers, so the, the backwarders that had stolen some rags, like, had to, like, keep them, like, in their aprons and, like, hidden. And then would, like, bring them out just to pop them and put them away so that they could do their job. <laughs> oh, man. That, that was a I, I have a similar story. I had a owner who also had no service experience. Um, and he thought that we were either being too careless with the cutlery, like, or that we were like throwing it out on purpose because we didn't feel like washing it. Like he just had no clue. Like he just, he's like, why am I still ordering cutlery all the time? And I'm like, because it's the cost of doing business. Like that's, you know, I was trying to explain to him. He's like, no, something's going on. There's, there are people are dirty. Servers are fucking throwing them out on purpose because they don't want to be bothered. Or I'm like, I don't know why we would do that. And they, well, they don't want to polish it. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. So he, <laughs> his solution to this was just to stop ordering cutlery altogether. And he's like, and then we'll see what happens. Like, thinking he yeah. was getting one over on us. Uh, and he's like, we'll see what happens when they don't have any cutlery at all. I'm like, well, what's ha- what will happen is you're going to ask somebody to eat a bowl of soup with their hands. <laughs> like, well, you're, not, you're not punishing us here. <laughs> that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. And that was like, it was so crazy. That place was, that place, okay, this was, this was some, I don't know, 
I don't know how they got away with this. One of the first weeks were open. Now they had an open kitchen. So you could see from the dining room straight through to the kitchen, right? They had one of those like fancy looking, you could see what the chefs were doing, which I don't know why with the temper of some of the back of the house people, you did that, but okay. Right. So so it's like the first week we're open and I'm standing at the bar, which I, I'm standing right by the opening to the kitchen. And I see they had hired this consultant quote unquote, no, no, because no. they were having problems with the staff. So they had, they were having problems with the staff, meaning the staff were like, how do we do this job? You've given us no training. <laughs> and they were like, just do your job. And we're like, okay, but we're all doing things different, differently. So they hired this consultant who was, I swear on Coke. Like I swear yeah. <laughs> was like coked out all the time. He was crazy. He would scream at people for no reasons. Like one of those nightmare kind of people to work for. I was so scared to go to work every single day. He was there. So I'm, I'm standing in the bar waiting for a drink, minding my business. And I see he's getting into it with one of the servers who's literally like my age, like 21 years old, five foot two, tiny girl. And he's getting in her face and screaming at her like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. And I'm sitting there like, is this happening in an open air kitchen that like is in view of our diners right now? And so I go back to like see her because he storms off so I go back to go to her I'm like what what do you do so she goes to the manager and she's like like what do I do and the manager was like don't leave finish your shift like don't leave would you believe they still fired her oh wow <laughs> I was like you should have walked you should have yeah. walked right out that door like if they're gonna fire you like you should have you shouldn't have you should have oh, walked that's brutal so literally and, they were just like just stay and help us till the end of the shift yeah just like, stay and do the rest of your shift and then leave and I was like wow and then I was like we gotta have a con you know next day at the staff meeting I'm expecting a conversation about mm. what the hell just happened no never talked about it and we were all like Oh no. Cause she was a really hard worker. Like she was a great server. She was really good. She was great with people. And it was like, wow, you fired her in like in cold blood and just never spoke about it again. That was crazy. And that no one ever said anything about that. We as a serve front of the house staff was like, I guess it's us on our own. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, everybody else. Well, that's what that breathes too. Right? Like I, I always say like, it's so easy to treat people with respect. You don't have to be, everyone doesn't have to be buddies. Like, and I think that it's good if there's a separation between ownership and the staff, yeah. just so everybody knows what's going on and you don't get too close. Uh, Cause then you, you can open the doors for people being taken advantage of whatever. Right. But if you start treating your staff with a lack of respect, freaking out on them for no reason, treating them poorly, fucking with their schedules, um, not allowing them to have cutlery, <laughs> then uh, what happens is it leads to staff discontent. You're going to get these little cliques where everybody's coming in and bitching about ownership. It transfers onto the guest. We as servers and bartenders don't even realize it's happening sometimes. But if you come in in a lousy mood for work because you hate your job, the guests can tell. They, they just can. And, yeah. and then also the one thing I know as an owner is that just fucking opens the door for them to convince themselves that it's okay to steal from you. You know, just a little way. It's like, you know what? Fuck that guy. Exactly. I'm going to give away a little booze or fuck that guy. I'm going to start. I'm going to drink while I work. Or There was whatever. also there was very clearly a guy stealing from that restaurant. And we were like, you know, he was a server. And the other servers are telling the manager, like, you know, he's up to stuff. Like, we're not, you know, we're trying not to say right, anything right, yeah. because we don't have any proof. Right. But we're like, you know, he kind of like. He would just like take your table, you know, he was doing stuff like that, which we all were like, why does he, why does he say he has like 30 years in the industry, but it was worked in like a different place every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we're yeah. all looking at this with like a side eye and every, and the owners 
loved him. Like, we're like, no, he's so wonderful. And we were like, no, he's stealing yeah. from you. I know. You know, it's funny. I And that's another thing that you could say. I'm glad you brought the point out because I, I've once, uh, I worked at the same place for like 16 years. And then I would go hand my resume out somewhere else. And they'd be like, oh, you don't really have a lot of experience. I'm like, what? I have six like 16 years right there that's right. a good thing that's what you want to see that means that nobody wanted to get rid of me for at least 15 of those years right. <laughs> but uh like I, I was doing a good job like you don't want you don't want a guy who's worked like like 16 different places in 16 years because something is up <laughs> right clearly he gets fired yeah or, or he has has bad, to leave yeah bad attitude and quits right that's the other thing that you see all the time it's like I, I've worked, I'm sure you have as well, worked with that guy or girl who comes in and it's just like almost right away is bitching about the way they do shit at the new spot. And you, you just know, oh, yeah, you probably worked at a lot of places. <laughs> and, and and you're, like, yeah, You're just going to walk as soon yeah. as it gets annoying or as soon as it. Yeah. It, but they keep getting jobs. Maybe COVID may change that. (laughs) Really? That's kind of, well, that's what I was saying before is that I kind of hope that we place a higher value on like, oh, this is a really good employee. Yeah. I should keep them. Yeah. I do agree that, 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 um, this situation that was awful as it's been, it's literally been a scourge on our industry, like on all humanity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that it's not rough on everybody, but it's, it's definitely specifically terrible on the service industry. Um, there may be a few good things that come out of it if we can all make it to the other side of it. <laughs> there are some things like maybe tip culture gets reexamined. Maybe people are more cognizant of how they value their jobs and and, and that has a positive effect, right? I, I, will, like, I will say that I had one of the days I was working, granted this was at the nicer place during COVID, but we had one table tip us literally like a hundred dollars and they said thank you to you and the servers for being here and i was like wow it's nice to get good guest stories we have uh we do a lot of complaining (laughs) with guests on this show but we always remember that the guests are what make it happen and 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 then on our very last night one of our um like the guy who did our tech for our, our performances, because we had live performers, went up on stage and he's like, I just really think it's important that we personally thank every member of this service staff. And he named us all and he, you know, talked to our chef and our sous chef and everybody oh, wow. on stage in front of everybody. And literally someone tipped five hundred dollars. Oh, we were like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have you come in as a plant, <laughs> as a plant. <laughs> and then do that and see if I can get some tips. So, I told him, I was like, we're buying you a round tonight, my friend. That's all thanks yeah. to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grace, uh, it was great talking to you. And uh, your podcast is amazing. It's called oh, The Family you. Meal. Tell us where we can listen. You can find it Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, anywhere you like to stream your podcast you can find All right. it well help grace out subscribe rate and review to the yep. family meal do the same to the industry podcast and thanks for giving us your time grace yeah, thanks, thanks for having much. me on <laughs>